Good morning, Solano. My name is Lexan. I'll be reading today's scripture. The first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. I invite you to open your Bible to read along with me. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of and the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the world of the Lord sound forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is God's word. Thank you, Lexan. Lexan uh, is working hard um, with Alyssa for the If Gathering, giving leadership. Thank you for that. We'll be praying for that. And uh, yeah, church, how amazing was it to hear from Ken about what God is doing through um, a young man like that, um, taking his life and, and putting it in the hands of the Lord to uh, reach people around the world. And so I, um, I think that's a dream we should all have, that the Lord would raise up from amongst us ambassadors uh, to be sent um, not only here regionally in the East Bay, but around the world. Um, and man, that 1040 window, wow, uh, what a huge need there. So uh, thank you, brother. I'm going to miss you. And um, yeah, it's going to be, but we're happy to help you along the way. You know, something about living in the U.S. that's unique and difficult is that we actually uh, have a lot of different uh, cultures and ethnicities that come right into our own backyard. And so we are neighbors with people who have different cultural backgrounds. And, you know, so w what's, what's difficult about that, though, is that some of us have, diff because of our cultural backgrounds, we have a different way of doing life. We have different ways of approaching really important things. So, for example, one of those things is parenting. And so different cultures can approach parenting in a way that we might look at each other and go, that's kind of weird, and, and maybe even judge each other a little bit. And so uh, you may remember a little over 10 years ago, Amy Chua wrote a book called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. 
Anyone ever read that book? And, you know, I picked it up. I was fascinated because it was a memoir. And so what you have is an Asian mother. I believe she was Chinese. And she wanted to kind of share with her American audience how she approaches parenting. Because she knows Americans look at that and say, that's kind of crazy. And, um, and so she was giving a little bit of a defense to say, well, let me show you why I do this. And it was a very honest um, account of her um, effort to push her daughters to be good in academics and virtuosos in music. Uh, and so now, I, I think she's honest and says, you know, there's some excesses to that. And some of you maybe, as you think about your own parents, you're a little triggered by how much they pushed you and not, not wasn't a great experience. But at the same time, probably some of you who were pushed by your parents are grateful for that. And you know, what she basically said, and, and I think the nugget that I took from it as an American is she says, I have a vision for what my kids can accomplish if I can just push them and, uh, and, know, and I know what they can achieve. And she kind of challenged Americans and she said, you know, the problem I see with Americans is that as soon as the kid begins to suffer, we stop. And she says, why would I let my kids own vision for what they can accomplish determine what they do? I know they can achieve more. And so she's willing to push them to greater amounts of accomplishment and success. And so um, now, again, sometimes she took that too far and the book is good and there needs to be balance. But I think that's actually a helpful principle that sometimes we need someone to give us a vision to say there is more you can experience if you push through when it gets hard. There's more power in you to grow and be transformed than even you know. And so don't settle for mediocre. Don't dabble, you know, she's telling her kids, don't practice for 15 minutes or maybe an hour. Practice for two hours, that's a lot. But you know what I mean? Don't practice for 15 minutes. You can keep going. There's more if you do more. Don't settle for status quo. And so that's what Paul is going to do with the Thessalonians, is he's going to be like a parent. And this is a young church. They were converted through Paul's missionary effort, and he was quickly torn away from them because of persecution, not like on what we just heard. And he's going to write to them, and he's going to say, you know what, Thessalonians, what, what has happened in you is so amazing, but don't sit on it. And here's what he writes. He says in chapter three, which I think is kind of the theme of the letter. In verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So he's trying to get to them. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so what Paul does leading up to this point is he is going to say, God has worked in your life. The Holy Spirit has power and it is working in your life. And so you have, if you have that, you can get more of it. 
increase in it. There is no ceiling that you can hit anymore. Keep going. Abound in your faith. There are increasing amounts of heart transformation that God wants to work in our lives. There is increasing amounts of joy in the midst of affliction that God wants you to experience. There are increasing amounts of love and bondedness that we can experience with one another. And so when I was reading this and preparing for this message, I thought, man, I feel that myself. I want God to work in my heart. I need his power to deliver me from some of my hurtful habits. I have struggles, and I want to be inspired by what God is doing in your life. I want to feel closer and more bonded to my brothers and sisters in Christ so I can more tangibly feel Christ's love. And so what if we could experience from Jesus greater depths of nourishment from him that meet our deepest longings? What if we could have a growing ambition for God's kingdom that doesn't shrink away in the midst of affliction, but actually grows because of it. And so if you're here and you've maybe stagnated in life a little bit, feel like you're just skimming the surface of your faith, or maybe, maybe you haven't believed in Jesus, but you're feeling a little lost, a little purposeful, purposeless, I hope this, spirit, this series sparks in you to abound in new actions of faith where you are making healthy and godly life decisions because of your relationship with Jesus. Or if you're feeling lonely and disconnected, I hope that this series helps us abound in love and greater acts of love and hospitality towards one another that we could tangibly feel the love of Jesus and give out the love of Jesus to each other. Or if you have felt depressed by the sufferings of life, I trust this series will help you abound in the hope that you have in Christ and the life that is to come. So that's the theme of this series, that we would abound. But you know, abounding takes, to do that, it's going to take some work on our part. You know, like, like the tiger mother, uh, Amy, push, pushing her children, they had to work at it to achieve the, what they could accomplish. And so we're going to have to dig in together. We're going to have to go to work together to um, accomplish it. But we want to believe in what the power of God has given us and the deposit God has made in us that, that it is available to us. And so that's my burden for today is that we would get a vision of what it means to be saved. What is this salvation that we have, the power of it. There is power in what God has done in your life. It is one of the most beautiful, precious, amazing things. It is the most beautiful, precious, amazing thing that can happen is to experience salvation from God. And so in order for us to bound then, we're gonna need to, there's something we're gonna need to see about our salvation, we're gonna need to know about it, and something we're gonna need to experience. So there's something we need to see about our salvation. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you like to collect art. I'm not a major collector of art, but you know, when I, when I took the job here at Solano and I, got, I realized I was going to have an office, I was like, I got to get some art. And so I put up a picture of 
Joe Montana. <laughs> That's in my office right there. I like to look at that picture. It inspires me. Something about it, I think it's the combination of grit and glory. Here he is, he's, you could tell he, got, he fell, got beat up, but you know if that's number 16, they're going to win. They won four Super Bowls. So this illustration may or may not be cathartic um, from last weekend. But you know, I think that's the idea of art. I imagine each of you, many of you have things that you love to think on and dwell on. You like to remember it because it inspires you to act. It inspires you to want to experience something good or to even possess something, right? That's what beauty does is it draws us in, right? And so Paul, what he does in, this, in the beginning chapters is he gives us a window into what he finds beautiful, And what he likes to dwell on. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says here, I can't stop thinking about you, Thessalonians. You inspire me. I brag on you in all of my remembrance before God. I'm talking to God. I'm saying, God, can you believe what is going on in that church? And it inspires him. But if you think about what that means that he's bragging to God, you know, have you ever been excited for something? And what do you do? You're going to go tell somebody, right? But if you have some self-awareness, which I know you all do, you tend to tell somebody who you know will also be excited, right? You're like, oh my gosh, and you know this person. And so you tell them because you know they're going to be just as excited, if not more, and your mutual joy will increase. And so if Paul is bragging to God about the Thessalonians, that's because God himself finds it beautiful and wonderful. And so I think that's what we need to see is that for, for us to abound in our faith, we need to see that when we do things for God, the things of our life that are for him and from him, they are beautiful in his eyes. And we need to find them beautiful. Because again, when you see something that's beautiful, you're drawn to it. You want to experience it. You want to possess it. You want to walk in it. And so let us find it beautiful, the works of God in our, in our midst. You know, uh, on Friday, we had a parents' night out. Yes, some of the parents are cheering right now. Do you know what made that possible, though, is our volunteers. Um, Emily Tyler, in her 20s. Are you still in your 20s, Emily? Oh, she's 30. She's a young woman. She's married. She could have had a nice Friday night. Those volunteers, we had a high schooler come out on a Friday night. We had junior hires out there. In order to give the parents a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour night out. And they gave that up because they love the church. They love what God is doing, and they wanted to sacrifice and serve. That is beautiful. I love dwelling on that act of service. I thought of it the week leading up to it. I thought I've been thinking about it ever since. I, wanted, I gave Emily a hug today. I'd give all, I, gave, I gave Robbie a hug. What a beautiful act of faith. 
You know, and I think about this idea of our labor of love that Paul finds so beautiful. You know, John Calvin in his commentary on this, I love this. He's kind of, he's kind of a, a melancholy guy. He kind of sees, he's a little pessimistic and he's like, yeah, Paul calls it a labor of love because loving people is a burden. <laughs> And I kind of was like, yeah, yeah. And you know, the idea here is the reality is most of us, we're hard to love when you really get to know us. That we are all deficient in some ways. That we have blind spots. And we have things about us that are prickly. And so, you know, the labor of love, this flows out of when God's people See Jesus Christ having died for our ugliness, having died for our, our sinfulness and the full depth of everything ugly about us and says, but I love you. When we take that vision and say, I want to love others like that. I want to love my brothers and sisters when I begin to see their warts and wrinkles and I still say, I am with you, I am for you, and I welcome you into my life. That kind of labor, God says, that is gorgeous. The most gorgeous sunset is mud on the wall compared to the Monet of Christ-like love. And so, we need to feel that and see that and see that in each other and affirm that in each other and find it beautiful. Paul found it beautiful. He was meditating and dwelling on it. I don't know what it says about me that I like to look at Joe Montana and feel inspired, but let us be inspired by each other. Let us see that as the most beautiful thing. That is the paintbrush of God. Those are living strokes of God's masterpiece. Your faith, your love, your hope. Now, of course, when I say that, how many of us can see the danger, though? When I start talking about, you know, Paul's very clear. This is your faith I'm excited about. This is your labor of love, your hope. This is yours. What's the danger lurking is, oh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty legit. And so isn't there a danger in religion? Doesn't Christianity have one of the most darkest dangers that can happen to a human being is you believe in Jesus and start living out good things like serving on a Friday night to help parents, like confessing sin, laboring in love. And you know what the danger is? Is you become self-righteous. Look at me. And you start to judge others. So Paul, as soon as he's saying how amazing what's happening that the Thessalonians are living out their faith, visibly. Notice it's work of faith, labor of love. It's visible. It comes out. Steadfastness of hope. He's quick to give credit where credit is due. So here's what he says in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. So after he's done saying, I am so impressed and amazed at what I'm seeing in you. He's quick to say, because I know that's God. That is God at work in your midst. And crucially, he wants the Thessalonians to know it is because 
what you've experienced, what you're walking in, what I'm affirming in you, I want you to know that I firmly believe that that is God's work in your life. And so if we're going to abound in our faith, we need to see the beauty of our salvation, but we also need to see the root of it. Who gets the credit for our faith? And Paul's clear, he gives credit to God. But I want us to see the way Paul expresses this. As he says, it's, it's because of the love of God, the choice of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think they're all connected. And so, you know, it, I found it interesting. It kind of jumped out at me, maybe because I am a modern 21st century American. I'm not sure. Is when he says, I know God has chosen you. Do we talk like that? When you encourage someone in their faith, you say, I know God has chosen you. We don't talk like that. But probably because it's a little bit controversial. We're like, ooh, wait a minute. What does that mean? And yet, clearly, it's not controversial to Paul. He drops it right out of the gates. Doesn't even really qualify it. He says, you Thessalonians need to know this good news. That God has chosen you. And so, it's beyond the scope of my sermon to defend and kind of explain what that means, but I'll just say this. That the Bible wants you to know that, first of all, you have agency. Your decisions are real and they matter. And they're yours. Paul says, I am praising God for your work of faith, your labor of love. But also... The Bible calls you to understand and believe in God's agency. God has agency. And, and here's the thing. This is what is a term we use, a theological term. God's agency is sovereign. Do you know what sovereign means? We sang that song, God is sovereign. Do you know what it means that God is sovereign? His agency is decisive. Yes, we have agency. And we believe in that, and, and kind of the mystery is, but also God has agency, and his agency is decisive, and we need to know that, and that can encourage us and help us in our faith to understand that we are here because God chose us, that his agency was at work. And that's reinforced by the fact that Paul says that you are here because God chose you, and the power of the Holy Spirit was at work. And so if you're a good Trinitarian, do you, be, you believe in the Holy Spirit as a what? As a person, not a force, right? Because what would it mean if the Holy Spirit was a force? Then we're all like aspiring Yodas, right? We're all trying to like say, oh, I can tap into the Holy Spirit and manipulate and control it, right? That's what it would mean if the Holy Spirit was an impersonal force. But if he's a person, if the Holy Spirit is a person, then what does that mean by definition? He has agency. He has a will. He's moving according to his will. And so we seek it, we pray for it. But what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in John chapter three? It moves like the wind, y'all. You don't control that. You don't even know where it goes, but you see when it goes. You see where it moves. His agency is decisive. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that God decided to move amongst them because of his choice. And that helps us 
abound in our faith. I could think of four reasons why this doctrine of God's choice helps us abound. I'll give you one for the sake of time. <laughs> but I want you to know, I think it's, there's a lot of good news here. But I think Paul's main point here is because it shows us our belovedness. So I want us to see how closely, next passage, Paul connects our belovedness to our choice. We pull that up here. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Do you see how closely he connects those two ideas? Your believing in Jesus is an expression of God's love for you. If you are believing, it is because God chose you because he loved you. And so that is a powerful idea that helps us. Because, you know, we were talking in home group recently. And we were acknowledging that there's a human need. We feel this need to be important. To feel like we matter. To feel like we have a seat at the table. And so a lot of our striving is to, like, overcompensate for that insecurity and we, we act out in ways that are too aggressive or too anxious or too insecure. We want to feel like we matter. And I think this doctrine, this idea, what Paul is saying when he says, for we know, brothers, that God chose you, is it actually drives us deeper into God's acceptance of us. It's not mere human acceptance, but it's actually all that God has done to bring us in. He was intentional about that with you. And so you could think of it like this. Imagine, you know, it's like God invited you to a party, his party at his house. It's exclusive. Come, come to this party. It's amazing. And you didn't want to come. So he went over to your house, got you out of bed, and he said, you got to come to my party. I've invited you. And you said, I can't go. I got nothing to wear. I'm too ugly. And he says, I got the perfect outfit for you. You're going to look amazing. And you said, I can't afford it. And he said, I'm paying for it. And you said, okay, I'm in. But you're a little nervous. And so he brings you over. You show up at the party. He's got a chair with your name on it. And he sits you at a table reserved for Solano Church. Because notice when Paul says God has chosen you, he says you, plural. You Thessalonians. God has brought us into the kingdom and into being members of one another. You are not here by accident. You are not a party crasher. You, you know, could you imagine going to a party and pulling up a table and say, hey guys, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here, but I'm here. But God wants you to know, he, this is, you were destined for this. His choice. So that you would know your belovedness. And so that when you're at that party, you don't slink into the corner, shy. I know you introverts out there. He's like, no, live it up. That filet mignon in front of you, you scarf that. That is for you, ordered for you. And so, Paul is saying, I want you to know the root of your salvation is God. Because that shows your belovedness. And that's going to help us lean into and grow and want to abound in our faith. It's a beautiful thing.
And lastly, Paul's going to say that you, that you Thessalonians, you experienced something. You experienced something real. And that power changed you. That power changed you. And here's what he says, verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul basically says the way that we know that the Holy Spirit was really at work in you, that when you received the gospel message, you received it with joy. Joy is the marker that God's spirit has moved in your life when you believed in Jesus. That it was received with joy. This is no Sunday school answer. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. That it is something that will drive you the rest of your life. It is the kind of joy that transcends all suffering. So in the midst of whatever pain you're going through, you have joy that you have Jesus. And that is going to drive you to levels of obedience, levels of repentance, levels of mission, levels of risk that you never thought possible. And Paul's point is to say that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot manufacture that. That is God's power amongst you. And so if you have tried Christianity and have not experienced this, like it's just a cognitive answer, like you just understand it, but it hasn't re- it produced this joy, do not give up on it. You cannot experience the Christian faith without that joy. It will crush you or make you a self-righteous monster because you don't understand the humility and the grace that God has given you, that it was all because of God, not because of you. And so don't give up on Christianity until you have received that joy. You keep knocking on the Holy Spirit. Because you know, I, I was talking about it's, it's the Spirit's agency, but you know that's good news? He is merciful. He came to save sinners. And so keep pursuing the gospel of Jesus Christ until it produces wells of joy in you. And here's the result, verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, so because of this joy, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's saying there, your life, the way you changed your life was so dramatic that the rest of the world found out about it. People could not believe what was going on amongst you. And so the joy of the Holy Spirit is not just happiness, it's a productive joy. It fixes your eyes on a new ambition, a new beauty that inspires you to act and it's the person of Jesus Christ given for you. And so that's, this is what I hope God does. This is the work I hope God does in us through this series, that we would abound the way the Thessalonians were abounding and increase in it more and more. And we're gonna see the ways that God's gonna call us to increase. 
That, you know, what it says is that they turned from idols to serve the living God. So I pray that God would help us abound in acts of repentance. There are things in your life that are stealing your joy in God. There are things you're turning to other than God to deliver you and save you and validate you and it's killing you. And God is gonna lovingly confront you and call you to turn from it. But it's gonna be an act of joy because you see what you're moving towards. You're moving towards Jesus. You're moving towards serving God. And so may we abound in acts of faith where we're doing things for Jesus and because of Jesus. May God do that work in us so we would go deeper and not just settle in our faith. This wouldn't be empty ritual. We wouldn't be, what's that term? CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only. That, but this is our living, this is our life. This is what we live for. We live and breathe this. And people are talking about us because of our transformation. And lastly, I hope that we would bound and fix our hope in Jesus. You know, we have this experiences in, in this life where we wait in line for things. You guys ever waited in line? Like Disneyland? It's crazy. Especially if you don't have the fast pass. What's that bakery that people love? There's always a line. Is it, is it Fournay Bakery? What is it? This didn't go as planned, you guys. There is a bakery somewhere over there where people wait in line forever. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Acne? Acme? Okay, this is stuff. It's okay. It's okay. You can tell me later. I'm sorry. People wait in line. And you know why they wait in line? Because they have a vivid understanding of what's at the end of that line. And they'll wait, they'll waste their time, they'll get a sunburn, they'll sit there because they know what they're about to experience. And what Paul says here is that we have, because of the Holy Spirit, we can have such a vivid view of what is coming, the hope we have in Jesus, that we are able to patiently endure this life. The temptations of this life will diminish because we have a sense of the better glory in Jesus. The sufferings in this life will diminish because of the hope we have in Jesus. And the fact that we're saved from wrath means that we know there's a judgment coming for sin, for evil in the world, and we have received the only hope of escape. And it becomes a precious gift to us. That hope is the kind of power that God gives us so that we can dwell on it so vividly that we would have a steadfastness and a joy for whatever this world or Satan or death may do to us. Let me pray. Father God, we want to abound in this salvation that you've given us. We don't want to settle. Lord, we, want, we don't want to do just enough to get by but Lord, we want to experience the fullness of what your power has been sent to do through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, through the giving of your son Jesus, the shedding of his blood, so that we are your people, Lord, who you have chosen to be together, Lord. So would you increase our love for one another? Lord, would you increase our works of faith that we may continue to surrender to you and do things for you? And find it beautiful amongst ourselves, Lord. And would you help us have a more and more vivid sense of the hope we have in you. That we could see it. We could taste it. And we're willing to wait patiently 
and joyfully for it, Lord. Do this work in us. In Jesus' name.